Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. Happy 2022. Uh, we will get the date right. Uh, that's because I'm hosting the show. <laughs> you hope. You can still choke. Oh, yeah, I could still choke, but, uh, you know, they don't have that reputation. But uh, we'll start off with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. All right, so we have an Antonio Brown update. Oh, boy. If you didn't see what happened yesterday during the Jet game, he we always saw it was that he left the bench, ripped off his jersey, ran into the end zone, started waving at the crowd, and then, like, waving his arm. He did like the one finger, the two finger. He did the opposite of what Joe Namath did after winning. He well, did he, this. Didn't, he didn't flip the bird, let's just say no, that. No, no, no. No, one finger, the one finger. I would have said middle finger, Mike. Stay with me. Um, but anyhow, he 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 goes off into the locker room. Then Chris Myers later says there's a you know, a car waiting for him, a police car escort, and he gets and he's and he flies out on his own. Okay. But we don't know what caused it. So now we finally do find out what caused it, and that is he claimed he had a, a an ankle injury. Now, this ankle injury started, this what you would call suspect ankle injury, started when he had the fake vaccination card, right around the same time frame. So then yesterday he was like, I can't go back into the game because of my ankle. And they had him checked out, and Arian said, listen, we're telling you to get back in the game. If you can't get back in the game, then – you're off the bench. And that's what he did, what he did. Now, afterwards, SportTrack um, put up his bonuses, and two bonuses were completely achievable. The, the one for um, 51 yards was completely achievable. He already had 36 yards in that game. He could have gotten some more in that game and, and the rest in the next game. And uh, I think he needed eight more catches. He wasn't going to get that probably, even the two games. And only one more touchdown, and each bonus represented $333,000. So whether this is a mental illness thing, whether this is a stupidity thing, some of it, all of it, his career is essentially over. Yeah, I was going to say all of the above. But, Kev, I, I, I've never – I mean, with Antonio Brown, nothing is surprising, but – I've never yeah. seen a guy self-destruct as much as he has. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. We've seen this act before. I <clears throat> uh, Before I left USA Today, one of my last football stories was about uh, about Antonio Brown. I talked to uh, one of his uh, professors back from his days at Central and, uh, you know, tried to get a handle on the guy. And he just had nothing but praise for the guy. I, you know, because of the bizarre nature of his behavior, I tend to believe that there's got to be um, some mental issues here that probably should be addressed by a professional. Like uh, he clearly needs to talk to somebody um, and get this kind of all kind of squared away. But, um, you know, he's done this to himself. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, like that. Uh, that's not how you win friends and influence people by his actions uh, yesterday. So. Um, very, very bizarre and uh, certainly, uh, you know, probably uh, usurped a lot of the big games in terms of what everybody was talking about yesterday in the NFL. Now, one last thing. I, while talking about what happened in this game, I did put 
my other top four bizarre moments in sports that I have viewed in my lifetime. Uh, this one with Antonio Brown, I put number five. Uh, I'll give you one other that's in my top four. It's on Sportsology. And, and that was in game six of the 86 World Series. All of a sudden, you know, Bobby O'Hayden's on the mound, Bill Buckner's up, and here's this guy hang gliding right into the middle of Shea Stadium, a full stadium. And, and O'Hayden just kind of looks at him like, all right. I was off the hang glider. The police come right out and they escort him off. <laughs> I, I, Russ, I was going to bring up uh, the uh, the Riddick Bow Holyfield, the guy and the the guy the the guy with the the glider that 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 flew. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was very similar because I I was watching that fight. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And they're they're beating up on this guy and he's got this propeller thing. <laughs> yeah, the, for the Mets thing, they called him Fan Man. That was his. His gimmick and it looked like evil can evil kind of dress but <laughs> one of mine is also on the list is a michigan based um bizarre moment you could probably get that one uh was it the pistons uh no no college oh college uh is it the is it the michigan play the 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 uh the michigan flip Oh, oh, oh! You know the timeout, yeah. The timeout when he doesn't have any timeouts, right? Yeah. Timeout when he didn't have a timeout, and he traveled before that. <laughs> he, yeah. he traveled. He didn't even bounce the ball. He traveled. The announcers call it traveling. They don't call it. And then he gets the ball off the court, and then when he gets in a jam, he calls timeout. And he doesn't have any time. Well, I'll give you the hockey one. Oh, yeah, I, can't, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was at the Boston Garden, and. A fan jumped over the glass. Uh, I think they were playing Quebec, and I can't remember if it was the referee or one of the players that that uh, that knocked the guy down because the guy ju just jumped over the short glass, like right uh, at the corner, like in the Bruins zone, right where before the glass goes up real high behind the net. I mean, it was just like what the hell is going on? I mean, you don't see you know, that and that. And of course the, the day, the Falcone uh, guy in Philadelphia who fell into the uh, penalty box with Ty Domi, that that's, that's up yeah, there. Max Domi <laughs> talks about that once in a while. Yeah. So uh, just one, just one thing with the, uh, when it comes to football, um, you know, it's, there's a week left, so we don't know what the playoff matchups are going to be, but right now, as of right now, the Bills would play the Patriots again. Third time. It's like now, you know, unless there's sort of an, another act of God and there's 60 mile an hour wins, I, I don't think that New England is going to be th running all but three times. So, but I don't put anything past because, you know, believe me. Bill Belichick and Buffalo, there is, you know, everybody is every Kev, everybody's got like that. It's like Okay, you know he's gonna come up with something to stop us. We know it's Belichick. <laughs> yeah, there's Belichick. Yeah, speaking of football, I watched the Rose Bowl. Boy, was that an entertaining game! I, I heard it was. I didn't. I didn't watch. Yeah, it. it was. It was really incredible. I mean, you know, basically uh, Utah jumps out to a, a twenty-one to seven lead, then a twenty-eight to fourteen lead, and they're scoring left and right, uh, and then. Uh, Ohio State scores on a long pass, and then Utah runs the kickoff back, and then Buckeye score again on a long pass. Like I it was thirty. I, they, yeah, go ahead. I didn't see the game, Kev. But what I was going to say is, I was stunned that Utah scored forty-five points on Ohio Ohio State. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it was just it was just an entertaining football game. And, and to be honest with you, I think Utah would have won that game had their quarterback not been injured. Um, you know, they ended up having to uh, go with the second string, and the coach really didn't have much confidence in him to throw the throw the ball. So they had to switch to running. And uh, um, I don't even remember the name of the quarterback uh, from Utah. I did really didn't know him, but uh, he had an exceptional game. And when he wasn't uh, throwing the ball all over the field, he was running, and it was just just highly entertaining. I you know I just sometimes where you don't really have an emotional investment in the game and you turn it on next thing you know you get caught up with it and i just loved scoring i just kept kept you know kept rooting for the team to score because they were doing it so quickly it's like an arena football game yeah that's what it was all right let's start the show hello hockey world today is monday january 3rd 2022 that didn't sound good that was some cheating involved i'm russ cohen from sportsology (laughs) kevin allen occupus that's called acting, Russ. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right. Uh, let's start with some not late-breaking news, but and fairly common news when it comes to the NHL and what's going on uh, You know, over the last month or so. Um, Austin Matthews, who was named the NHL first star of the month uh, over the weekend for December, playing only seven games. He scored 10 goals. Uh, led the led the league in December, uh, but today he did not practice in Toronto. And uh, I was just on the conference call with Sheldon Keefe, and he indicated that he has tested positive on the rapid test. Um, they will confirm it with a PCR test tomorrow. Uh, he's asymptomatic, so that means a minimum of five days. But you know, Kev, I mean, this is, I mean. The Leafs had 15 positives, so the other eight are going to be vulnerable because of Omicron and it being as transmissible as it is. But this is just, you know, this is the news. This is what we're going to be going through the next month or so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's good that we've uh, uh, changed it. to, to no, It's not 10 automatic now. It's five if you're asymptomatic, and uh, um, that's probably a good thing. And it could still poss- possibly be a false positive that happened to the Red Wings. Larkin tested positive. He had to stay in Dallas. The team went to uh, Vegas, and then, lo and behold, the next day he was negative. Uh, so, um, you know. That, that that could be uh, the the case here. We don't know, but you know, th- as you as you said, this is just going to be the way of the world now. And you know, I keep warning people of this. Two, we've had two players test positive or have COVID twice. We, we're going to see more of those. So just because they have it now, the antibodies. Uh, I just saw something on this this morning. Antibodies in some people don't last any longer than a couple of months. Well, remember, Matt Matthews had the original strain, and that was what caused a bunch of hubbub because it was revealed when COVID was not being revealed. Um, this is back, in, I think, June or July of 2020. So this is number two for him, but obviously it's Omicron. It's a different variant. So right. I mean, that's that's going to be the reality here. I mean, whatever next is next, whatever new strain everybody else is going to be vulnerable. So all we can hope for is as this, as it metamorphosizes, it gets weaker and weaker as it goes on. And, you know, then I guess we would hopefully start treating it like the common cold, but right now it it can't be treated like the common cold because the death rates are so high. So yeah, it's going to be a factor this entire month for, for the NHL. Yeah. It's going to be a bumpy month for them. 
and as Tony Soprano in the chat is mentioning, um, there's basically it's heading toward lockdown in Ontario right now. And Kev, I don't know if, if uh, we've heard anything more regarding, um, you know, the some of the requests of the Canadian teams to move games out of Canada for January because, um, you know, they may be playing these games in front of few or, or no fans. Yeah, no, and I think the league is very happy to uh, honor that request uh, just because they want to create as much revenue as possible. They can't go through a third season of, of not having 82 games and having their revenue, you know, slashed. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the problem with that is, and it's something you've been talking about a lot and it's coming to to bear, is, is we're going to run out of time in order to, get all those games back and now that's going to push us into the summer and then we're going to have a short off season. Well, yeah. so. Mike doesn't think that's going to happen. It's me that thinks that's going to happen. Mike thinks right. the season will, will end mostly on time. And I don't think that's well, going to happen. I, it will, it, to me, it comes down to, and I, I and people are, uh, at, who are talking to me with me about this around the league has have warned me not to think in terms of what we normally do and think of what's possible. Right. And now right. when you're saying that, um, what they're saying is, is in, you know, we could play four games in five. We just choose not to, um, you know, and, uh, you know, those kinds of issues. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we're, we're throwing uh, uh, kind of new ideas out there and uh, who knows uh, the way we're looking. I mean, for example, um, like I'll, I'll use the Leafs as an example. They, they have a, after they play Edmonton on Wednesday, they have a four-game road trip, which was supposed to be a five-game road trip, but Montreal's was postponed because of no fans. The next home game is the 17th of January against New Jersey. Now, if the Prudential Center in Newark is available, that game is the, the, the that day is already reserved in terms of you know it being played because New Jersey is supposed to be in Toronto, but they could move that game to Newark. So it's Toronto and New Jersey playing, and then they just play the next game that was supposed to be in New Jersey in Toronto. Like those things are going to happen. Plus, when you have and we've seen this, uh, you know, when a team visits the New York area. Usually they'll play three games in five nights, maybe three games in four nights. Um, but if there's no travel there, they could conceivably, Kev, play three games in three nights. If they okay. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, I know the Players Station Association would have something to say about that. But these are strange times, and I think it's far more important uh, that we um, get a full season in uh, in terms of the revenue for all the players and everything than to, you know, uh, stick with the conventional way we do things. I mean, these are strange times, and I think we're going to have to adjust uh, accordingly. And um, yeah, I, think I, I just have a feeling it's it's going to season's going to run long. Well, I, I mean, uh, and you know, I, Thomas Thomas in the chat is talking about something that is not going to happen. Now, I'm, maybe Canada closes the border right now, but they haven't as of yet. And the reason that they won't close the border is be, probably won't close the border is because Omicron is everywhere. There's no point to closing the border. It's in the U.S. It's in Canada. It's rampant all over. So I I don't I, I don't see the the purpose in that. And uh, the other thing is Canadian teams playing in the U.S. Well, not their home games. They'll they'll play their road games, or they'll move games and play 
games later on in Canada, but no, the, you know, the amount of lost revenue, if Canadian teams have to pick up stakes and play, like if say the Leafs would have to play in Buffalo. Okay. Who's who in Buffalo is going to go see a Leaf if the Canadian fans can't come over the border to see them. So there, that would be tons of lost revenue. So I, I don't think that's going to happen either. Well, I think you would, they can count on you. Well, if they gave me media credentials. <laughs> But, yeah, well, I mean, it depends on where you played them. Like, if you you could play Montreal games in Florida, and I think you'd yeah. do pretty well. Mm. You would um, do well. You know, if you played Calgary games in Arizona, um, I think you'd do pretty well. Um, lots, you know, lots of snowbirds. Lots, lots, no, of lots of snowbirds, and I've run into plenty of people from Alberta up in the, uh, in in Arizona. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I th- I think you think you'd have to be creative about it, but there are Toronto fans everywhere. So, oh sure, sure. I'm yeah. I'm just saying it's like you know, in terms of revenue. First of all, you're you're not going to be be able to replace the revenue that they get in Toronto no. in Buffalo, especially when you're paying uh, 370, the equivalent of 375 bucks for a platinum at the <laughs> Bank Arena. It's it's just not it's just not going to happen. I mean, there'll be fans there. Um, because they would actually see a good team, but uh, anyway. Yeah, I thought you were going to say three hundred seventy-five dollars for a beer. And, uh, well, another no, game got postponed. <laughs> What's that? Um, one? Another game just got postponed. Uh, the Which Senators one? at the Seattle Kraken, January sixth, postponed. Okay. Well, the Senators, the Senators had a, a little a, a mini outbreak. They had Nick. They didn't have Nick Paul. And Josh Norris and a couple other players against Toronto on Saturday. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's because they're, or maybe it's Seattle. Who knows? But um, yeah, you're going to see this. You're going to see this, a lot of this. But I, I, I continue to say, you know, at most for us, and I'm not making this as a caveat. At most, a week that they might push the games for. They want to. They want to end. They want to end the playoffs by the end of June. They want to have the draft in early July. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if that'll get affected, but I just had a feeling the season could run long. I know there's going to be more of these postponements. Now, this one is interesting because now the Senators' next game is in Vancouver, so it it does make me think that they want to keep them in Canada, and maybe they can't cross because of what their situation is. Well, I mean, that's and that's the weird thing because okay, the Leafs had three games at home at the beginning of January. They didn't po- they didn't postpone Ottawa Toronto or Edmonton Toronto cuz that was inside the you know two Canadian teams. They did postpone Carolina and Toronto. I know cuz I was supposed to cover that game. And that would mean Carolina crossing the border. Um, the testing the testing in the US is more readily available in in Canada that we know we know before there was the, before the pause there was some issues regarding um, getting testing in Canada for US teams so that might be the factor there so um, let's let's talk about the winter classic it was on TNT uh, the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild. I, you know, it was it was at the same time that Ottawa and Toronto was, so I didn't get to, get to see a lot of it, Kev. But um, from what I saw of the TNT broadcast, it looked very similar in terms of camera angles and quality. That did, I didn't think there was much of it, much of a drop off, and uh, the game was fairly entertaining. 
Yeah, it, it was. I thought uh, when it got uh, out of hand, it was six to two at one point, I think. I yeah. thought, you know, I think they probably lost some viewers from a national perspective. But, you know, what people look for when they watch those games is uh, something out of the ordinary with the weather, and they got it because it was just colder yeah. than all get out. And uh, I think that kept people in. People wanted to see how players would react to the uh, adverse conditions. And, um, you know, I think that probably kept a few more viewers than you would normally get. But, you know, those are still important events uh, for the NHL, and I don't see them uh, uh, drying up uh, for a very long time just because they're such huge events uh, in the cities that, that are hosting them. And I'm sure that was the case in Minnesota where, you know, hockey is king and outdoor hockey is uh, celebrated um, yeah, as well. I, I thought, you know, from a game perspective, it was really good. Kev, what we didn't like was with the panel, when they had a chance to interview Gary Batman, it was like ridiculous, remedial. There was nothing that we learned. And I'm not sure Gary gave his usual like 15, 20 minutes that he normally would give at a winter classic to like the media, right? So normally we, we hope to learn a few things about the league, something from Gary Bettman. We don't even know when the next Winter Classic is. They didn't even ask that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how bad it was. And and they, they didn't ask the question that we were just talking about in terms of rescheduled games. You would think right. that that would be, like, the first question. I mean, I'm not trying to – like I said this before. I'm not trying to attack the guys who were on the panel, but the, most of them were – former players and they're not reporters and reporters or somebody like Ron McLean, who always holds Gary Bettman's feet to the fire. They would ask the important questions. A, a LeBron or a Friedman or a Chris Johnston would ask him the questions that are upmost uh, on the f- minds of the fans right now. And those questions really didn't get asked. Yeah. Not that they would have had answers anyway. I don't think the league had, knows exactly what they're going to do with the rescheduling of games yet. Um, you know, I think they're waiting to see how many games they're going to have to cancel in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's, they could have said something like, Hey, we have a, a plan. Uh, yeah. You know, they could well, have no, said a little bit should, of light. It should have been asked. There's no doubt. Yeah. 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 It should have been asked. I'm just saying, I'm not sure Bettman would have given much of an answer at this point anyway. So now go ahead. Go, Russ, did you have something? I said, that's fair. That's it. Now, I thought I found this humorous. I found it really humorous. Well, listening to Elliot Friedman on uh, his, on the uh, Thirty Through Thoughts uh, intermission report on Saturday, talking about how the inventive ways of how many players who still wanted to go to the Olympics uh, were exploring. Like, for example, they were asking, I guess, the PA if they could retire or terminate their contract to go to the Olympics and then come back and re-sign a contract with the same team. I mean, I, 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 okay. It's lost on me. And you know, I'm not an athlete. I'm just somebody who's, a, who, who's been a fan and now I'm a reporter. I don't get the, you know, just this, this unbelievable desire to like leave your job to go to something like the Olympics. I, I don't get it. I mean, no, that's, that's it. I mean, a writer should understand most of all because, and I tell this to people all the time, you get into this business because you want people to read what you write. Like you don't, you don't write for yourself. You're, you're writing for people. You hope people will read it. You know, when I write during the regular season of the NHL, uh, you know, this is not football, 
So, you know, you, you weren't getting, uh, you know, 300 or 200 or 400,000 like you might get in the NFL. You're getting 50,000 or 40,000 or whatever. You go to the Olympics, you might get a half million read your story. Players understand that. It's the same thing for them. You, you play hockey. You want people to watch you. You're in the entertainment business. You get that. You want the, the, the adulation of the crowd. You want to be excited about it. You're representing your country. Um, the Stanley Cup is great. That's your goal, your mission, and your life. But the Olympics is much bigger. They understand that. They, they get it. You know, they've been there. A lot of guys have passed that along like, man. You know, I went to the Olympics and everything was completely different after that. I mean, ask some of the guys that were in 2010, how their lives changed after that. They get it. Yeah. They understand it. These are smart guys. I mean, I interviewed Ryan Kessler on the day between uh, the U.S. and Canada game. And, you know, what, what he was telling me, yeah, it meant a, a ton to him. It's hardwired. Mike, it's hardwired. Like, you get your pizza before the Bills game. What if that pizza place you go to was all of a sudden closed? You went to go get it. And all of a sudden, they were just inexplicably closed. What would you do? Russ, there are other pizza places. Not you, yeah, but, you know, it's like, um, you know, do you want, if you're an artist, do you want your painting hanging in the Louvre um, or just in New York? Yeah. I mean, New York is great, but hanging in the Louvre is much better. And I think, yeah. you know, players get that. And uh, I'm actually surprised you don't get that. So. I, it's No, it's... I get it, but when the league when it says you can't go, then just give it up. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, I, it's an interesting story, and I'm sure players ask that. But we've all been in those positions where you just, you know, frustrated by what happened, so you start throwing out things. But would they have really yeah. gone through with that? I, nah. I, I find that hard to believe that someone would have given up a contract. Uh, and what? having it null and void and come back. I mean, they may have asked about it, but I I doubt whether anybody was all that serious about it. Now, the interesting thing, Russ, is that uh, there was talk about players on AHL contracts being allowed to go. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I know that, uh, was it Cody Golubov, who played, I think, played for Canada in 2018. And, you know, and there's a, there's a number of, like, veteran guys. Yeah, Kevin gave us a number. What did you say, Kev? For AHL players, like five or six? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be four college guys, uh, six or eight AHL guys, some people yeah. in Europe, or four or six, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be a mishmash. It'll be like a quilt of uh, players from around the world. Right, and, uh, and one of the names one of the names that uh, I think – I'm not sure if it was Jeff Merrick or, or Friedman mentioned was, was Josh Hosang. And, you know, that would – you know, that would be a, I mean, he's having a really good year with the Marlies right now, and that would be a platform, Russ, that if he all of a sudden lit it up for Canada at the Olympics, I mean, he might have a couple teams knocking on his door for an NHL contract. So it is, it is a, it is a platform. That happened for him, actually. Yeah. yeah I'd be doubted. I would doubt a team would turn down a guy, if especially if he was a, you know, unless, unless he's a major prospect that you were counting on to come up, I you know, why wouldn't you let any of these veterans go, a guy like him or any of them? You know, I mean, may, I guess they could, but uh, I think for the most part, they'll get who they want out of the AHL and, and Europe and, you know, maybe some colleges will turn them down. But they seem to kind of have a – I mean, I have the sense they already know who they wanted. So Now, um, Eric Dehachik wrote in the, in the Athletic regarding 
some of the teams that have general manager openings and how they're sort of putting out feelers regarding potential candidates. Obviously the one that's the most, the most interesting of the four teams uh, is, is the Montreal Canadians, because there's always that Francophone aspect when it comes to them, it's going to have to be somebody who's French speaking. Um, I, the thing is, I didn't know Roberto Luongo was bilingual. He's from Montreal. He's from Montreal, and his name has been mentioned along with Briere, along with you know a number of names that we've we've heard over the last the last you know month or so. But Kev, I I don't know like in terms of you know the time frame um, since they have Gorton there, and he's an experienced general manager. You know they could they could wait until the end of the season to get the permission of a, of another team if that if that team is preventing them from getting a guy. Yeah, but I, don't you have the sense uh, I, that you know Jim Rutherford and Gordon, you know, kind of wanted to lay it anyway because they kind of wanted just be the guy for this you know time period. But you know if you're going to hire a guy like Luongo who hasn't been in a managerial uh, position ever before. Except for Canada, except for Canada at the World Championships, I think he was in in management for for that last year or something. I, yeah, he, he wasn't. He wasn't the general manager. I guess I no. misspoke. What I'm talking about? No, he hasn't been a GM yet. Right. Um, he hasn't to run anything. Um, um, like this is the perfect situation. If you're going to do that, hire someone who hasn't been a GM before. Um, this is the position, the time to do it because you have a GM who's his boss. You know. Right. And who, who uh, actually did a pretty good job of putting together a nice Rangers team. Um, so, uh, you know, I, that makes some sense to me. You know, have Luongo, who I think would be accepted in Montreal. I think they'd be excited by that. Um, yeah. So that, that, you know, that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to me. Now, Bri- Briere's name has been mentioned, yeah. a couple a couple others. I mean, but to, to the, you know, what I was, the point I was making is, there really isn't any rush unless they, they, you know, they just will not accept Gorton acting as a pseudo general manager because he's not right. French Canadian. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any rush either. Although, you know, I like who, who are they waiting for? I mean, you know, why? Who's out That's there that you think might might be fired that you might get? I, you know, um, you know, I mean, maybe maybe Matthew Darsh, who is uh, with I think with Tampa Bay, maybe yeah. Tampa Bay won't won't give permission to a team in their own division. I I don't know. That maybe it's something like that. I, I, you know, I I would think that you know most general managers in this league believe that they shouldn't hold somebody who's an assistant general manager back from being a general manager. Yeah. There's yeah. some guys that have left in season to get a promotion. It's happened. Yeah. yeah. Now, Russ, I know that uh, Vancouver, the, the names that are popping up, uh, one, one name is Mel, Scott Mellenby, who is, uh, uh, who is an assistant in Montreal. Another one was Patrick Alvin, who is an assistant under Rutherford in Pittsburgh. So, you know, there are names out there, but again, like Kevin said, you know, Rutherford has a handle on being a general manager, has all the contacts. And maybe if he, you know, right now he doesn't need to do any big, uh, you know, big work because they're hot, they're red hot. So yeah, that one's going to take a while. I don't think there's any rush by Rutherford. I, I could see it going through the draft and not have to. <laughs> yeah, I really could. I, I just could no, see I- it just- I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, Jim yeah. Rutherford, uh, you know, 
you know, I, I kind of wonder, is this, is this the way he wanted it set up or did he just go along with this? You know, right. You know, uh, cause maybe that's how they wanted it set up. I mean, he's in his seventies. They probably wanted someone there that was going to be his heir apparent. And they just probably said, you know, if we're going to hire you, this is what we want to do. We want to have you be the director of hockey operations. You bring a guy that you're molding um, to be your guy because, you know, how long is he going to do it? Is he going to do, you know, five years, six years, two years? Nah, I don't think it'll go beyond five years. No yeah. Way. Well, that's what I mean. So. Yeah. Um, um, they, they, this, that's probably a good setup. And so I'm sure Jim's not in a hurry to, to do it. And uh, be, I'm sure he's still trying to kind of analyze, you know, somebody has to, to go there. I think we all agree. Yes. And I, he's probably trying to reach a conclusion on who that should be. So, uh, and the other, the other two general manager positions are Chicago and Anaheim. And um, I, I think it was Elliot Friedman who made the point that, you know, um, Anaheim has a lot of decisions that need to be made before the deadline. Now, if they stay in contention, then they're not trading any of the guys who are UFAs. They're not going to trade Manson or Raquel or, um, I mean, gets off is not going you anywhere. You never say never because would they trade a player for player if they feel like it makes their team better? Yeah, they still might. Well, they so, might. They, what, I'm, what I'm saying, Russ, is that they're in the mix – they're, right. uh, they're less likely to trade Lindholm, Manson, or Raquel. Yeah, they're not going to trade they, them all, but they still could trade one or two of them sure. if they feel like that trade makes them even more of a contender at that time. Like, and, and do it you, does solve another problem too. But do you want an do you want an interim general manager who replaced Bob Murray uh, to make those decisions? I mean, they do have you know guys like Dave Nonis in the organization who's who are, is a former well, Solomon's a great guy. So if, if nothing else. I think he understands the, you know, how to get that done. I don't think there's a problem. Uh, with that. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's never really made those trades. I mean, I, I like him. He's, you know, he was an agent. I knew him pretty well. He's yeah. a very smart guy, but he's not, there's an art, as we all know, to making trades, and he's never made a trade. So right. it doesn't mean so, he can't, right? I no, mean, it does not mean he can't, but, you know, there's, but it's risky for somebody who doesn't have the experience to, to be put yeah. in charge. Well, he's got a different kind of experience. That's the thing. He he could look at it from a financial standpoint too, and then yeah. kind of look around. Like he might he might have a little bit of an edge that way. He may not have the contacts, but look, he might be able to trade with uh, you know some other guys that he knows. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, but I, like I don't think that's the issue. Uh, you know, the like this. The, I mean, the cap uh, is part of it, but it's just. You know how you approach it. Um, like, mm -hmm. do you send out a, a memo saying this guy is available? Do you call up and is it sleight of hand? Do you talk about one guy when you really want another guy? I mean, those kind of things. Like when you talk to GMs, you know they don't even like to discuss that because there is an art to it, and they uh, all sure. understand that. And I, I just think well, there me, is. Let me ask you this, Kev. So, if the Kings are out of it, would the Kings trade with the Ducks? They might. Yeah, I mean, and they got yeah. players to trade. The Devils traded with the Islanders, so yeah. you know anything's possible. Like, and you know, like, he knows the Kings, right? So that's that would be an easy on. Well, play. yeah, I mean, he could certainly talk to Rob Blake, and you know, like I'm sure he knows the guys. Like that's not the yeah. point, but it, it yeah. just, it's just, it's. I mean, I just think there is kind of a. It's why some guys, uh, you know, make, uh, and it's and it isn't always about experience. Like Ken Holland. I don't see him as a major trader. Like he's never, he's, he's always tr been 
a guy that acquired veteran players for draft picks and prospects yeah. and such, but he, you know, player for player trade, that's kind of Jim Rutherford or, you know, other people of that ilk, David Poyle, David Poyle makes those kind of trades. Well, um, talking, so. talking about trade, talking about trades and talking about, you know, the potential of a team. I'm just doing this on the fly here. Cause Russ mentioned that mentioned the Kings, you know, right now, they're borderline in terms of whether they're going, to, they're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot. I mean, I had hopes for them, but it sort of it's been sort of up and down with them this year. You know, doubt, losing Dowdy for almost two months really hurt them. Um, but they, you know, they have a, a bunch of unrestricted free agents, so re- potential rentals in Edler and Mata and Dustin Brown and Athena CU. But the the interesting one, Kev with the number of teams out there that need goaltenders is Jonathan quick, because Jonathan quick has been playing most of their games. It's not, it's been, it hasn't been Cal Peterson because Peterson has right. played a significant chunk over the last two seasons. They're playing quick a lot. And I almost get the feeling like they're playing quick a lot to prove to other teams that he's still a good goaltender that, that he could help them make a run. Yeah. And you know, there, there was a period when he was really hot, uh, yeah. that, that uh, people were kind of talking about him, and that was followed by a period where he wasn't hot. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I think he's an interesting uh, guy because he's been there, done that, and uh, you know he's he's got the experience, and the resume, and I think you know he's would be a nice guy to add to your lineup if you're you know unsure of your goaltending. Um, you know, not everybody. You know, there are three teams probably looking at goaltenders and looking at Mark Andre Fleury, and all three teams can't have Mark Andre Fleury. So, the consolation prize, you know, could be someone like uh, Quick. Um, now, who, now, now, Russ, the complicating factor is Quick has another year. He's got yeah. another year at five point eight million. But I'm looking at his stats right now: ten seven and four. 923 save percentage, 2.37 goals against. That's a lot better than I think we thought he was going to be. No, listen, he played great against the Flyers. He made one save where he was looking in a complete opposite direction, but because he's always so good positioning-wise and has that leg extension, he still sealed off the uh, post and stopped the shot from going in, and he didn't even see the shot. So this is how Jonathan Quick can still play. The worry is you get him, and then all of a sudden he gets that one injury that keeps him out like for two weeks and you got nothing. But he's gotten through the season, so I do think if if the Kings ate some salary, he could be traded. Yeah. Um, looking at some of the games last night, and I know Russell when I was when we were talking, and I read off some of the scores, and I said Penguins eight, Sharks five. You know, you, you talked about the Penguins and. You know, I know that at the beginning of the year, you were bullish on them when we yep. were all like looking at the fact that Crosby and Malkin were going to be out for whoever, whatever, how long, and the goaltending that they have. Well, they're 18, 8, and 5. And in this game, Evan Rodriguez scores a hat trick and Brian Russ scores a hat trick. Yeah, um, Brian Russ is just back, too. Now, yeah. He only got five goals. He scores a hat, but he scores a hat trick. I'm just, you know, and. Lee fans are criticizing Kyle Dubas for Evan Rod- for like not qualifying Evan Rodriguez. The Evan Rodriguez of right now and the Evan Rodriguez of two years ago are two completely different players. Because this guy is, you know, he didn't play like this in Buffalo. But it's no, the, but- isn't the GM's job to recognize that that Evan Rodriguez is going to be this Evan Rodriguez? Right. Well, I mean, 
he didn't have a lot of time in the NHL when the Leafs had him. So you had to grant him time no matter what. He wasn't going to be an instant hit. And so, you know, Kevin does make a good point. But what I did want to point out, Mike, and then you can go, is those eight goals were all scored by NCAA talent. And this is something the Penguins have actually mastered, the bringing in the former college free agents, the really good college players that they've drafted, you know, yeah. like Rust, like Gensel, that don't go first round, don't even go second round sometimes. Those guys, and it works for them. And they get the work ethic out of those guys. They get forechecking out of those guys. And that's what I saw in camp. I saw a team that was fast, that could forecheck, and I figured, you know what? They could wait until their superstars come back and compete. And that's why I was bullish on them, just because of the effort that I saw in a camp, because they were doing way more than I've seen a lot of teams do in camps. And and Malkin, I, I'm just looking right now because I knew that he was skating, but I don't believe he's back yet. No, he's he said uh, two days ago, he said it would be a week to 10 days. He's wearing the... I forget now the yellow or red uh, jersey. Yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah, each team, each team yeah. has a different one. With Toronto, it's gray. It's, oh, it's gray. Know, okay. Well, anyway, he's wearing the no contact uh, jersey. Right. Uh, but he, you know, he was kidding around with the media. Yeah, was having a good time. He walked in the media room one day and and had some fun with them, which I think is cool. So, yeah, yeah. And he's uh, he's sort of implied that it, you know, they won't the Penguins won't have to. Uh, uh, break the bank to resign him too, which is uh, I, I don't think it was at this interview, but I've seen some okay. suggestion that he's kind of said that, which will really be interesting. So I still think the MVP of the Penguins are Burke and Hextall for not doing anything about their goaltending. They didn't yeah. do a thing. Yeah. So People basically, what you're saying is Ron Hextall is MVP for being Ron Hextall. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, because that's that's who he is. Without slashing he, anybody with his goal stick. No, yeah, I mean, he's just a he's a patient guy. I, he is you know, a patient guy. I, I I have said this that I thought that the, the the meshing of those two personalities was absolutely perfect, because you have a, the ultra aggressive Brian Burke, and you have the very patient and draft mindful Ron Hextall, and yeah. Ron Hextall needed a little bit of Brian Burke. And I probably Brian Berg needs a little bit of Ron Hextall. And yeah. I think the combination of those two has, has been a good managerial fit. Uh, and a lot of their, a, a lot of things have gone right for Pittsburgh this year. Um, yeah. You know, the big thing was in goal, um, uh, you know, where the, 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 the goalie we saw, you talk about Rodriguez, but the goalie we saw in the postseason is not the goalie we've seen this regular season either. Yeah, so. Jari has been, uh, yeah, been Jari's been terrific. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And I, just, I just saw some statistics on uh, five on five uh, save percentage and Jari is uh, right up there uh, in that regard. Yeah, um, a, a nine nine thirty two save percentage, fifteen five and four record, one point nine three yeah. goals against. I think the only goalie has a better save percentage that's played that many games is Jack Campbell. Yeah, I think and so. We should talk about it for the last couple of years. The Penguins have revamped their defense, and every year people throw dirt on various players, Crystal Tang or whatever, and their defense is 
has gotten to be pretty good. It's reliable. Yeah, I, I don't think they throw dirt on Chris Latang. He's one of the more no, popular. No, there's a lot of people that keep saying well, there, there may be, but he's one of the more popular. Russ, I know. I'm not saying yeah. in that market. I'm saying like nationally, it's oh. like Chris Latang's oh, getting on. Okay. They've yeah, been throwing yeah. bags of topsoil on Mike Matheson ever since the trade. Yeah, that's true. Even he's gotten a little better. I didn't. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I there's a team I wanted to talk about. Yep. It's because I heard this incredible statistic on the game when I was watching it yesterday, the afternoon game, and I looked it up to make sure this was accurate. I went to the Bruins notes and they keep track of it, and sure enough, this is true. In the last decade, the last ten seasons, ten seasons. Mm-hmm. When the Boston Bruins get a two-goal lead, you know the very hard to maintain two-goal lead, they have lost just twenty games in ten seasons when wow. they've had a two-goal lead. Ten games in regulation, I should say. Ten wow. games in regulation. That is a remarkable statistics, and it gets better if they get a three-goal lead because now we hear that discussed all the time. We just saw last yeah. night the. San Jose Sharks were down uh, 6-2 and got three goals in the opening four minutes. Now, the three-goal lead, when the Bruins get that in 10 seasons, two losses. Mm. Two losses. Now, I I bring that up just because, you know, I when I was watching the Red Wings play that team, and, you know, obviously in my other job I uh, cover the, uh, the Red Wings as a beat writer, I, I think the Bruins is the type of team that the Red Wings really want to emulate because sure. Blashill talks all the time about um, being able to hold the lead, and the Red Wings have had trouble doing that. And, um, you know, I don't think there's too many teams better at it than, than the Boston Bruins. Yeah, what, uh, what I would tell- like to know, though, is how successful are they doing that with Krug and Chara? Uh, well, I mean, it has to be pretty good because they've only lost, you know, 20 and two. And, you know, I mean, are you saying they, was it four? Or maybe they've had a few lately where they didn't have even. Well, they didn't have a few in the three goal variety because they only have two for 10 years. So maybe they have one in the last two years, but. I mean, I I honestly don't think that their defense, I mean, it's not at the level of when they had Boychuk and and Chara. No. But but it's it's still with McAvoy and Carlo, it's still solid. Yeah, but I think it's it's more than that. I think it's a culture. It's a, you know, it's just just part of it. uh, it Good defensively. But uh, just to give you an idea, over that 10 years, the two-goal lead, that's 394 games, (laughs) just in case you're alarmed. 394 games. I don't know why, but I sort of have a phobia about three goal leads involving the Bruins. I don't know what that. What that <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But so. Russ, it, it, just <laughs> talking about uh, uh, prospects here. One thing I and I want to ask you about Logan Cooley in a minute, but I heard yeah. a, I heard something about Shane Wright, and and you, we we know that we hate when players are compared to existing players. You know, like, oh, this guy is going to be like Wayne Gretzky. It's like, it's unf- it's unfair. But the comparison that I heard regarding Shane Wright was Patrice Bergeron. And you know what? No. I don't, if that's a comparison, like, like as a negative, as a negative, like a number one overall pick, who's going to be like, if, if he's like Patrice Bergeron, sign me up. Yeah, nobody's like Patrice Bergeron. That's the problem. Nobody yeah. is. I think he's really good, Damon. I don't think Shane Wright will ever be as good defensively as Patrice Bergeron. I don't think he'll be as good on faceoffs as Patrice Bergeron. 
There are offensive plays that he makes that Patrice Bergeron can make and vice versa. And, and Wright might be able to make a few that Bergeron can't make. Right. But in the end, he's not Patrice Bergeron. He's just not. He's really good, though, and he's going to be a hell of an NHLer. But, yeah, that's, you know, again, it, it's just too much. Now, yeah. The one thing I will say about uh, comparisons is this. Um, we used to not make them. It was an NHL tradition. Everybody would talk about that, and nobody paid attention to our draft. And then someone at the NHL office caught on. You know, the draft should be bigger. We should get people excited about it. And suddenly I started seeing them everywhere. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, when you're trying to ignite a fan base, you know, people just need to know what kind of style they are. Like, and maybe they do think he's going to be the guy, but I think I think it really helps. And I think the the interest in the NHL draft has grown exponentially in the last five or six years. And a lot of it is the fact that we're talking about players in ways. I mean, look, I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't think he'd be better than Bergeron, but he'll be better than Krejci. And and Krejci was a hell of a, a player. Yeah, he'll be, yeah. be an all-star player. Like, there's no question about it. So, well, I, I, you know, you're you're probably bang on because you know your stuff. But I'm just saying, I I don't have yeah. any problem as a journalist, you know, having comparisons. Even though I acknowledge that Mike is right as well, it is unfair sometimes to the players. And, and just uh, talking about, you know, they said the just to give an example for that for the draft for Rick Nash, they were saying Mario Lemieux. Now Rick Nash was a hell of a player. Was he Mario Lemieux? He wasn't close. He was in the same position as Mario Lemieux. So I, I know, but this is what they were saying, though, as a comparison. But uh, what I was yeah, going to say. I never heard that. So. And, yeah. Bobby Orr, and Bobby Orr for Jay Bowmeister. How did that work? Oh, out? Christ. I mean, the I, thing is, no. some of this is just asinine. It was. No, it was Bobby Orr for Jay, Jay Bowmeister. You know, no. I mean, it's just, you know, come I, on. I, I, you you know, I covered the league pretty closely, and I, I never heard Jay Bowmeister. Compared to Bobby Orr, I'm sorry, Russ. I'm, okay, you know. they, they they were they were they were both defensemen. That's yeah. where the comparison. I, 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 think, I think I would have heard it if that was a serious comparison by somebody that mattered. I'm pretty sure I would have heard now, it. One, one no, thing, no, I'm seeing it in four articles from back then. They compared his skating to Bobby Orr. So there you go. Skating. Oh well. Okay. Great. Eric Hyden can skate like Bobby okay. Orr. Yeah. Oh, maybe it wasn't his whole game as Bobby Orr, but even his skating's not Bobby Orr. Well, no, that's true. He's not. But now, um, yeah. one, the one thing that we have to track here, in terms of, especially in terms of the Ontario Hockey League, is like we were just saying earlier in the show, Ontario basically shutting down, and apparently, you know, what they're talking about is like movie theaters and like every any any place where there's a groups of people. We know that the NHL has basically a, some sort of special dispensation because they're the NHL, but the OHL, Russ, this could shut down the OHL for a month. It could. And again, that would shorten their season because they want to have the Memorial Cup. I don't think they'd be able to make up the games. I just think that's where, where, where is the Memorial Cup this year? Do you know? I don't know. I, I don't know. So, you know, it's like, I'm sorry I'd ask you on the, on the fly, but right, anyway. Well, tell us about uh, – I'll look it up. Tell us about Logan Cooley. Yeah, so Logan Cooley, uh, I currently have him on my list in Sportsology number four. I have him at the third best center. So Wayne <laughs> Wright, Matthew Savoy, Logan Cooley. Uh, he did score a point in the World Juniors, and Anthony had asked me, how much does the World Juniors make up of, you know, what I do 
the rankings. And in a normal year, it probably makes up 20%. But when you don't have a normal year, uh, you have to make adjustments. Now, there is a benefit for me that I went to the U.S. camp because I got to see a lot of these guys scrimmaging and otherwise from the U.S. side. You know, nobody else that was in the World Juniors, but there's going to be a fair amount of U.S. players in there. So I feel confident in, in being able to tell with the U.S. players. Plus, I did see, you know, the NTDP at, at the Fall Classic, too, with the USHL. So I certainly have a good handle on that. And I'm going to have to watch a lot of video to make up the gap on the other. But Fleet is a 5'10 center, 180 pounds. He's fast. Like, he's got a really good acceleration. So even when sometimes you think you haven't covered, he can make that step and either go to the net or make a great pass that's, you know, to somebody that's either going back door or to the right or the left hash. So that's something that he can do. But the really impressive thing about him, aside from his offense, and he's more than a pointy game with the NTDP, uh, is his face-offs. And it showed even at the World Juniors just for that, you know, the one regulation game he played. And then I think he, I think I saw him in a prelim too, and he was doing really well with face-offs. And again, we have to remember the NTDP does play against – uh, college teams, so they do get to test themselves against older, stronger players, and you know, and that's an important factor too. So he's from Pittsburgh. He's proud of being from Pittsburgh, like Kevin had said, and we talked about the whole you know Crosby uh, thing there. So I, there's going to be a lot of teams wanting to get Logan Cooley, but you have to be bad enough to get him. That's, that's really going to be the issue. Yeah, and I, I think it really helps his case that Zagris has had such impact this season. Yeah. Yeah. And just to give and, and I'll give this much of a comparison just to uh to play into Kevin's thing. Um I think he's better than what Alex Turcott was in his draft here as wow. an example. Yeah has um, Alex been a disappointment Russ? He's getting close to that but he's not there yet. But you know he's getting yeah. close to that. Like again I go back to that draft and I say we all knew that Zegris could be up here. Yeah. We already knew that Turcotte was at a certain point and figured he would get a little bit more because he was already good defensively. He was good on faceoffs. He he could score. He was he was very good in his own age group. And then something has happened to Turcotte where now he's still there and Zegris did get up there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I wonder. It's overtaken him. With Turcotte, I wonder if it's like the Joe Valeno situation in Detroit, where everybody knows Valeno is going to play in the league for a long time. He's a good, solid, dependable player, does everything pretty well, but nothing great. And I wonder if Turcotte's going to be that same kind of player, where well, you yeah. eventually get in the league and play good defensively. You know what? If I had to guess now, I think Valeno's going to be better. Uh, the reason I think Valeno's going to be better is because I think when he did stop scoring for that time, that's what dropped him in the draft. It was never about talent. Joe Valeno always had the talent. He always was fast. He always was a strong kid. But he knew, hey, I stopped shooting. I wasn't shooting enough. And he knew that cost him in the draft. But he also is now making up for it on the back end. So if Joe Valeno outscores Alex Turcotte, I'm not going to be shocked because he was always a scorer. So I just feel yeah. like that's just going to come back naturally anyhow. Valeno's well, a bigger Valeno's a bigger body too. He's, he has a bigger body, yeah. Well, now the first thing now he is because he put 15 pounds on in the right, last season. You know the thing, interesting thing about uh, Valeno is, you know, when he was in the draft, Russ just said the question is, is will he score? 
But here we are three, uh, three years later, and the questions in Detroit are, will he score? You know, yeah. like, yeah, he's a good, uh, you know, good player. You know, you watch him, he skates well. You know, he's a little grittier now because he's bigger. He, he was, he's even said it's given him a lot more confidence than everything else. You know what's but, funny, Kevin? You look at a guy like that, and you see it's all there. But you can't make it happen. I can't make it happen. No. And Detroit hopes they can make it happen. And that's the, the thing with prospect is, you know, sometimes we see everything that's there and say, wow, if it just all puts, gets put together, this guy could be a heck of a player. And sometimes it doesn't all get put together. Well, you know, he hasn't scored in there. They put him on the power play in today's practice, so they're going to give him a shot at uh, okay. um, the play in Valeno. So, they, you know, they want him. They, they've tried to, you know, when they sent him to Grand Rapids, they had him playing on the top line. But, you know, he just hasn't been able to – it hasn't come together for him. You know? I mean, is that is this something that L.A. is going to be kicking themselves in a couple years where, you know, they took Turcotte five after it went Hughes, Kako, Doc, and Byram and the next pick after Turcotte was Cider, and the pick after that was Dylan Cousins. And yeah, they're picking themselves now, honestly. I mean, I don't see how you couldn't. Even if Turcotte turn, turns out well, um, you know, he's behind a lot of those players already. So they're, been, they're kicking themselves now. But, again, you know, the Kings have gotten a lot right. Everybody gets them wrong, you know. Yeah, I think it's real easy to get fooled in the draft by really smart, mature players, guys that, yeah. that are good defensively, and you think, oh, they're such smart players. I mean, how many times do we hear that about Turcotte? Zegras is, is more dynamic. Yeah. He's more exciting, everything else. But boy, loose with the puck, though. He's loose with the puck. And, you know. Yeah, so, but with, with Turcotte, yeah, he's just smart. Just such a smart player. Yeah. All right. Um We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. For Russ Cohen, for Kevin Allen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.